0: Magic Morocco dumped Spain out. Dazzling stuff from Brazil. England v France next. And are Portugal better off without Ronaldo? I'm Dan Burke. This is the One Football Podcast, and I'm joined today by the one and the only Matt Frolik.
1: Good afternoon. That was a nice little little intro. Oh well, there you go, mate. Maybe you're my
0: one and only. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> How are we doing? you uh, you're back in Berlin from your uh, gallivanting around Europe. How does it feel to be back?
1: Yeah, gallivanting is the right word. Yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. It feels it feels quite nice to be back. I get to watch get to watch the World Cup with my mates and I, I've got to say I was around and about London a few times and the atmosphere wasn't wasn't quite there. It wasn't quite as, as mad as I'd hoped. Um, so yeah, now that I just get to be a bit silly with my mates and watch <laughs> England, then yeah, everything's that- a bit fun. Although I'm... I'm starting to feel like that joy might come to an end very soon on Saturday, but we'll get onto that later.
0: We'll see. We'll see. Was that because it's uh, a winter World Cup? Do you think that people aren't quite as up for it as they normally would be? Yeah.
1: Well, there was also stuff during the day. Like, I remember obviously watching the South Korea Japan World Cup at school, but I wonder if you ask people, you know, older generations, like if they watched it at work, they probably also found it a bit weird to watch a game at 7 a.m. or whenever it was 8 a.m. Yeah. So yeah, especially that first one against Iran, I was in the pub and it was like, what was it, one in the afternoon there in England? (laughs) Uh, A few people were like giving it the old "Don't tell my boss I'm on lunch break" sort of thing. (laughs) But it just—it was a wet and windy Monday, and no one was really that up for it. Or Tuesday, whenever it was. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was that—that had a bit, a bit of a part to play in it. Um, I'd expect much more atmosphere, you know, Saturday night against France. Exactly. I was
0: going to say if if we can't go up for that one, then uh, we don't deserve to win the World Cup, do we? Yeah
1: yeah exactly that's got like prime time forget about strictly or whatever else you're watching um you know get the football on
0: <laughs> i was just talking to my dad before and he's going to a concert on saturday night and they're talking about showing the game during the concert on like the big screens while the concert's going on which seems like
1: what's the concert? very worth
0: it it's uh paul heaton from the beautiful south
1: <laughs> oh my god imagine if he just stops and starts watching the football i No, yeah
0: just be <laughs> yeah very bizarre what, what were some other uh, highlights of your little trip then? Because you got caught up in a, in a riot of, at one point, didn't you?
1: <laughs> yeah. A little, uh, uh, I, looking back now, I'm like, oh, we got caught up in a riot and we kind of escaped after the game in Brussels, the Morocco-Belgian game. And then I checked the news the following day and I was like, shit, this got serious. There's like overturned cars and police yeah. and riot squads. And I, we were like 100 yards away from that, but we made the wise decision to get back to the editing, the editing suite, <laughs> a.k.a. our hotel room. Um, to put all this footage together, yeah, that was a bit mad. And weirdly enough, the the guys that we watched it with, the, the, you know, in a, sort of a small Moroccan cafe, I, I fell in love with, like, their passion for the team. So I was, you know, Morocco kind of my second team was really cheering them on. So I'm really delighted to see that they're yeah, still yeah. in it. Um, yeah, I just really I kind of, I got on board with, you know, in, in absence of passionate English fans that I found on the trip, the Moroccans are well up for it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed that. The Welsh were also up for it too, but I kept my mouth shut when talking to them, um, <laughs> or when trying to avoid them, lest they figure out I'm one of the enemy.
0: Going to say keeping and, your mouth uh, shut while talking yeah, to them is it quite difficult, cool. unless you're a uh, ventriloquist yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, no, it was it was really good. Was lots of lots going on around Europe. Different people getting involved in the football in different ways. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping there'll be even more excitement to come now that we're Indeed. back in cold Berlin.
0: Yeah, I, l- I love the footage of you from the from the riot. It was like uh, how how clearly scared you were, and how I would have been exactly the same in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> There's the phrase. Uh, yeah, uh, uh,
1: I was panicking.
0: Yeah, they, they say about intrepid reporter. You were very much a trapid reporter that day. I think. Yeah, but uh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, I'm not quite sure you you know be sending me off to many far flung places as a war reporter yeah. any time so <laughs> shit my pants yeah, well, it's good yeah. to have you back
0: safely anyway, and we've got loads to talk about today, all the uh, the World Cup round of 16 action. Uh, just a reminder before we get stuck into that, that if you do want to send in any questions to us, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, we've had a few more this week, which I'm very pleased to say, and we've got a, f- a couple more that I've not even had time to get round to yet. So if you did send a question and we've not got to it yet, don't worry, we will do when the, when the game starts to thin out a little bit later in the tournament. Uh, the first match we're going to talk about today was the Netherlands 2-1 victory over USA, the, the very first uh, round of 16 tie Uh, quite an interesting game this one Um, a very super performance from Denzel Dumfries Um, I very much enjoyed sending a push notification from the One Football app with the headline Denzel disappoints Washington that was my uh, little pun of the World Cup so far
1: (laughs) I'm sure Joe Biden was gutted it. better than being sat with yeah yeah I've I've been sat with Joel watching the, a few of the games recently, and he just keeps bringing up Bono U2 references every time Morocco plays. Yeah. So I haven't enjoyed one of them. So, yeah, that, that's quite a good one. Wasn't it 3 1, though, to Netherlands? Did you say
0: 3 uh, Sorry, it was 3 1, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I I apologise. Yeah, to the Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two like assists and a goal for off Dumfries. The last goal. He did, yeah.
1: Two assists and a goal for him. Yeah.
0: Uh, very good player, isn't he? Yeah.
1: I. I- I feel like I remember when he was PSV and he was marauding down that right-hand side and I thought I was a big future for him. And there was, he's been at Inter Milan, is it 18 months now? Um, very much brought in as the replacement for Hakimi when they sold him to PSG um, as that right wing back role. And I thought, mm. yeah, he's got, you know, certainly the athleticism that Hakimi and the speed on the counter-attack that he brought. But I feel like we didn't necessarily see it as well as we could have it in maybe that maybe there was a bit of an adjustment period he is still early 20s quite a young guy and now I've seen him linked with big moves to the Premier League and I can't, can't help but feel like he'd really suit the Premier League maybe a bit more than Serie A mm. there's something very very exciting about him and uh, uh, definitely in recent times you know in the Premier League we've seen um massive contributions from wing backs and you know wing backs that love to get forward and turn a 5-3-2 into a 3-5-2 or even higher um and I would just I'd love to see him in the Premier League I think he's a fantastic footballer and he's he's quite different to I would say other sort of ball playing defenders that we've seen in the Dutch national side he can you know he's got a great final ball really good delivery but when you look at the other the other side for example where um Daley Blind at left back mm. vastly different player to Dumfries um, and, yeah, I really, really enjoy everything that he brings. I think he's a fantastic player. And, yeah, like I think to get him out of Inter Milan now would cost a hefty fee. But if anyone's going to pay it, any team from any league, it would be a, it would be a Premier League side. Yeah,
0: Chelsea seems like... Uh, well, there's been a lot of talk about him going to Chelsea. That seems like it would be a, mm. a decent fit. He'd fit in nicely into that system. I've seen him described in, in recent days yeah, as a... Good a big, a, a tournament player, which seems like, a, I don't know, almost a bit of a disparaging remark, almost like it su- suggests that he's, uh, he's kind of good in these international tournaments, but as a, as a sort of bog standard league player, who you're going to get consistent performances from week in, week out, he's perhaps not that kind of player, but still quite a young man. Plenty yeah, that's a bit harsh. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was nice that it was, uh, there was two goals in this game where the f- one wing back set up the other wing back, Dumfries to Blind, and then Blind returned the favour for the third goal as well. Mm. Always good to see.
1: Yes. Very
0: nice. Uh the first two goals of this game, Memphis DePay getting the first goal and then and then Blinden getting the second one, both quite similar goals. Do you think there was a bit of um a case of the USA not really learning the lesson from the first one defensively there? With uh were they, were they a bit statuesque?
1: Uh yeah, I don't say learn their lesson. I just think Netherlands found a weak spot. And it it just took the US too long to kind of uh get their act together and deal with it properly, which they mm. continued to not do, like Denzel Dumfries was making so many inroads down that left-hand side, I think it was Robinson was the left-back for the US uh, Robinson, yeah. Robinson and he, 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 for whatever reason, I think his, his positional sense wasn't quite on board with it all um, and yeah it, 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 with two goals in quick succession it looked very foolish and then obviously they let him go again and he scored the third goal, Dumfries down the right hand yeah. side, so I think it, it to me, obviously the US didn't deal with it, but it reeks of it reeks of the Dutch having a game plan and knowing that there's potentially behind a you know a very attacking Robertson. Or if they didn't think that his positioning was very good, they knew they could exploit these areas. Um, but I think the cutback as well. It tells me that again, the Dutch know what they're doing. I mm. don't think that they'd be right in putting in crosses into the air. I think Tim Ream's very good um, in the air. What is he six foot three, six foot four? Gakpo and Depay up front are you know proficient headers of the mm. ball um they don't really have anyone late from midfield bursting into score headers uh, I know Gakpo has done it but you know it's not really one of the main strengths in in his toolbox so I think again pulling the ball back to the edge of the area where they've got proficient finishers is something they know that they're good at so they're going to attempt to do um and yeah maybe the US should have sort of reacted and tried to cut it out more but they were fantastic finishes both of them mm-hmm all three of them, even. Yeah, yeah.
0: I've noticed a bit of sort of divisiveness around the Netherlands in this tournament. Some people saying they quite enjoy watching them, you know, the sort of total football style of play, which 20-odd passes were strung together in the build ups to that first goal. Some people say they find it a little bit boring. And um, Memphis Depay made a decent claim for himself. He's been sort of out of the in and out of the team at this tournament so far. Um, he scores the opening goal there. And do you think he sort of staked a claim for himself there as, the, as to be the starter in the next game against Argentina alongside Gakpo? Because they also brought Steven Bergwijn off the bench
1: at halftime, which was an interesting thing to do when you're 2-0 up. They, it, this is really, really interesting for me because I put the Dutch in the same category as Spain and potentially Germany too, where they don't have an out-and-out striker, Right. But when they manage to win, we think it's the most marvelous football in the world. When <laughs> Spain managed to score seven, yeah. right? Spain managed to score seven against Costa Rica without a striker. You're like, oh my God, the football's so mind blowing. Even midfielders are scoring. <laughs> like, you know, we think it's genius. And the same thing, you know, with the Netherlands. Depay and Gacpo, Depay more so, but they aren't centre forwards traditionally. Right, by trade and Bergwein as well, like you mentioned. They're all wingers, they're all mm. in the attacking areas, but none of them are out and out forwards. So when they win, you're like, Oh, this is genius football. And then when you lose, like with Germany, you know, and with Spain, last night we saw the nil nil, it all turns to well, you started a football match with yeah, six yeah. fielders and no no striker, you idiot. Like yeah. it's one of those things where yeah, it's very odd to you know, Spain started without a striker and didn't score. Netherlands started without an out an out striker, and they in the quarterfinals looking yeah. rosy, and Gakpo and Depay are brilliant. So it's a very odd one. I would, I would think that Depay and Gakpo would start, um, but if you were to sort of pinpoint a weak spot for the Netherlands, for Spain, for Germany in the last few years, most people would point to the fact they do not have a world-class striker, yeah. um, evident in the fact that Vincent Janssen started the first game for Netherlands. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it's it's a really, really odd one because they they bounce between the good and bad side of not yeah. fielding an out-and-out forward. Absolutely, yeah.
0: And this game might have been a little bit different had uh, Christian Pulisic taken that early chance, very good chance, got him behind the defence. Almost seemed to surprise him a little bit that uh, the that, that sort of ball came to him and he, he was a bit underprepared for it. Do you think it would have panned out differently if uh, if that was the case or were the US always in a bit of a hide into
1: nothing here? Mm. Maybe, because then you would have been asking them to just sit back, I guess. I'm not sure they would have had the... you know, I'm not sure it's really in their DNA to go and mm. try and kill the game off against the Netherlands. That'd be crazy, right? To see the US going for a second before half-time. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't know, to be honest. I think, obviously, they got quite a fortunate, let's say, consolation goal, um, as it was, <laughs> and I I would have backed Netherlands quality. I would have backed Netherlands quality to shine through, even if Pulisic had taken that early chance. But... I guess we'll never know. That was one of those, you know, one of those what-if moments in the World Cup and there's always many, but I'm sure Pulisic himself will be a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit disappointed. Indeed. Uh, later on Saturday, we saw Argentina
0: beat Australia 2-1. I got the score right on that one, didn't I? It was 2-1, yeah.
1: You did, 2-1. Yes, there we go. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, uh, a great goal from, from Lionel Messi to break the deadlock in this game, Argentina. Uh, as they've been in a couple of occasions in this tournament, sort of labouring a little bit not struggling to find breakthrough Australia defending very well and then Messi finds the bottom corner uh, through a crowd of players mm. do you think that's what Argentina have they have a player they have Lionel Messi a player who he's kind of the only guy on the pitch who can do that who can score that goal is that what sets them apart yeah
1: because I mean to call Lionel Messi a match winner is an understatement But yeah. I guess that's what his skill set brings right like if he can pull, you know, pull that out of the bag. What the way that the way that he started from? Did he take the corner or did he receive the corner short? Um, he It was one of those two. He
0: yeah, I think he sort of demanded the ball from Otamendi right at some point. It was like, come on, what are you doing? Give me the ball.
1: Yeah. So he he started and the way he drifted in, the way he guided the ball. You know, he's composed. He guides it into the corner. I, I, I'm not sure. There's not another player who could do that. It was a nice finish, but it was very messy esque. Mm it was very typical of his career to see him you know it, it, he looked like someone who'd been in that position a million times and he genuinely has and the ball genuinely finds the back of the net like when I was watching it you knew it was going in it almost felt like I was watching a replay of like Lionel Messi's best World Cup goals. <laughs> like you know watching one of these videos like it just it seemed so certain like he'd been through the motions hundreds of times to score that sort of goal yeah. and you've seen it you know he picks a spot in the corner he guides it in it was very it was very messy. S maybe I don't know
0: it was almost too was normal to be Moore like. Could have done it.
1: Yeah, like
0: it, it, I, I feel like it's one of those goals that would just not be remembered very well because Messi just does that all the time. Whereas if any other player had done yeah. that, you know, if 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 Phil Foden had done that, England fans would be talking about it for years to come because it's Messi. It just go oh, just another one to add to the list of brilliant goals that he
1: scored. Yeah. I I feel like it was quite similar to the Richarlison goal for Brazil. A nice little bit of movement on the edge of the box, one splitting pass and a calm finish into the corner. But yeah, everyone's losing their mind over Richarlison <laughs> doing it because admittedly, you know, he hasn't scored a He's Premier League goal this yeah. season. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, 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 Messi does it all the time. So yeah, you're probably right. You are probably right.
0: Yeah. I thought it, I was interested because I was, I was watching this game and following it on Twitter at the same time and, you know, what people are saying. And, and Julian Alvarez got the second goal for Argentina, Robin, Paul... Matty Ryan of the ball, uh, getting caught in possession of the Australia goalkeeper. Alvarez took the goal well. Obviously, I'm a big fan of his as a, as a Manchester City fan. Um, I felt like the, the reaction to him on Twitter was a, a little bit over the top, considering he hadn't done an awful lot in the game. And it was a case of him just kind of picking the goalkeeper's pocket and tapping it in. And everyone's going, oh, what an amazing talent this kid is. What a player Manchester City have got. I mean, having watched him, what do you, what do you think of him? Have you been particularly impressed with him at this tournament? Or is the the hype a little bit over the top at the moment?
1: Yeah, maybe a little bit over the top. I think I think so much of the focus is on Messi uh um could be in the Argentina squad that it's kind of almost difficult to really grasp what everyone else is doing because it's not really a talking point. Like I was looking the other day at Enzo Fernandez, who's been brilliant for Argentina's in a really good tournament so far. You're not gonna hear too much about it because he's not Messi. Um so I think Alvarez is a very decent player. I think for me, he from what I remember He scored a lot of goals, right, at River Plate? Yeah. Is that where Manchester City signed him from? I never got the idea from watching him a few times at Manchester City that he would be an out-and-out striker. For some reason, I felt like he might float around the front three a bit. Guardiola would sort of um, teach him, almost, various roles across the front three. And I never really expected him to be a massive goal-getter. So, yeah, I, I have been impressed, but... Then again, maybe I guess this is obviously just my opinion. I don't quite know what to expect from him just yet. I don't know if poaching goals is his thing Mm. or if I should be expecting a sort of um, Phil Foden, you know, Riad Mahrez sort of to liken him to Man City players sort of impact. Yeah. um, As opposed to just being like a Kun Aguero.
0: Yeah. Well, Aguero is the obvious comparison, really. The fact that he's an Argentine striker who plays with City, a lot of people have made that comparison. And I. I I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy that people are enjoying watching him and, and sort of hyping him up a little bit. But you know, I've seen him play for City as a lone striker this season. I thought he looked a little bit lost. He's, look, he's looked better alongside Haaland. He's looked a bit better when he's played out on the flanks as well. Um, he looks like he's not quite there yet. I mean, he's he's still young. He's 22, but he's not that young. He's not like a you know 17, 18 year old where you go, wow, this kid's amazing for his age. You go, he's about where you would expect a 22 year old to be, I would imagine, you know, of of a player of his sort of quality. So I think he's got a big future ahead of him. I just wondered, uh, as a non-City fan, what you thought of uh, what you've seen of him so far.
1: Yeah, but but would you then put him as like, well, obviously he's not going to, this is probably why I think he's not a number nine, is because he's not starting ahead (laughs) of Haaland. So realistically, where's his career heading as a 22-year-old at Man City? It must be heading out onto the wings, right?
0: Mm, or as a as a sort of second striker, like a centre-forward alongside a main striker. Something like that is where he's, he's looked best so far this season. Put it this way, I think if Haaland got injured for two or three months, um, City had Alvarez as the lone striker. I don't think he would score anywhere near as many goals as Haaland does, which, you know, Haaland's ridiculous, but it's... Uh...
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a bit unfair comparison. But I, I know what you mean, like I don't... I feel like he's quite a link-up player in the front three, mm. not necessarily going to grab as many goals as Haaland or, or replace the goals that Aguero brought. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting because, again, a lot of players you know play differently in their club sides to how they do in mm. the international teams. setup are set up a completely different. Right. So I would expect him to develop more and see more of his skill set at Man City than you would with Argentina. Yeah.
0: Uh, Argentina, there's a little bit of a, a, a late wobble, uh, Australia getting back into the game, almost getting an equaliser. Is that a bit of a concern for Argentina in you know, the games that they've got coming up? If they want to win the World Cup, is there still a bit of vulnerability there, would you say?
1: Um, maybe, maybe so. I've, it, Otamendi just seems a bit older. that he's still, I know he's still a <laughs> decent player, but I wouldn't quite put him as, you know, up there with the top centre-backs that are left in the competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Maybe it's a bit of tiredness. Maybe it was just a coincidence. You would think that Argentina is smart enough to not let that happen too often. Um, but I think with the amount of added time that uh, that's being you know added on to this ridiculous World Cup, there's always bound to be some late goals and some late drama. Yeah. So maybe we can attribute it to that. I wouldn't draw too many sort of concrete conclusions from it. To be honest, yeah. Argentina.
0: Yeah. Let's have a prediction for Argentina Argentina Netherlands
1: in the uh, quarterfinals then. I love this game, by the way. It, it wasn't <laughs> this like, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, that that's the country, right. Yeah, yeah. That? Netherlands, Argentina. <laughs> yeah. This feels really old school, like, you know, 90s World Cup football. Um, oh, so tough. I'm going to go ooh, 2-2 Argentina on penalties.
0: I, I think a 2-1 for Argentina, just about, just about scraping through. But mm. yeah, I could see it going to penalties as well, that one. God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on now to France's uh, victory over Poland. I've, I've, I've lost my confidence in, in my uh, knowledge of the scores of these games now. It was 2-1 that game as well, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. 3-1. 3-1. Fucking hell. What a shocker here, haven't I? <laughs> 3-1 to France against Poland. <laughs> Olivier Giroud getting the uh, the all-time goals scoring record for France in that game. Um, yeah, pretty pretty big night for him. Um, are, you, are you pleased for him? Yeah, wow.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so, because someone who kind of got written off as a bit of a super sub at Arsenal and Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice that he's, you know, doing so well for AC Milan and, you know, he's backing it for France after um, after Didier Deschamps said a few months ago that he'd only take Benzema or Giroud, wouldn't take both, <laughs> decided yeah. to take both off, off the back of Giroud's ridiculous form and then with Benzema injured, it's looking like a very smart decision. Um, yeah, I also feel like Giroud... I don't know, it's quite nice to him, right? Like France are a ridiculous football nation with insane mm. history and insane talent and obviously Thierry Henry was the top goal scorer so for someone who maybe wasn't always the cream of the crop um, to be the top goal scorer is quite a nice you know quite a nice story I guess yeah didn't make him as a footballer but
0: yeah, didn't make his senior debut till he was like 24 for France or something like that as well. So he's done it in a, a relatively short space of time. I think he's probably not going to hold the record for very yeah. long because I think Mbappe is only about six goals behind him already. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. No, it's good, not good that
1: close, is he? I thought it was like 20 odd.
0: Is it? Oh well, maybe so. But yeah, it's uh, even so. Oh, yeah. uh, he's probably going to destroy yeah. that fairly quickly, isn't he? But uh, yeah, good luck to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like Olivier Giroud. And Mbappe. Uh, I mean, I think that, that goal of his, smashing it into the top corner, just kind of exemplified the form that he's in at the moment, didn't it? Yeah,
1: he has such a... I quite like his kind of unique style of finishing. He often, especially the first goal, he has this skill that we see a lot of PSG where, where most players in a Thierry Henry style would sort of open up mm-hmm. to curl it or place it into the far corner. Um, he closes his foot at the last minute and gets all that power into the near post. I'm trying to think. He scored it at the Burnabout, I believe in the Champions League. He scored a very similar goal where you expect him to go for the far corner and he, he hammers it into the near one. And it's a very, it's becoming a very typical Mbappe finish. And I just, yeah, it's just wonderful. I mean, obviously his speed is such an important asset in more ways than one. Because obviously he's got the speed to, to get into these positions, but it's, it's his speed in getting the shot off in... Just getting there ahead of players, there's, the speed isn't necessarily, you know, I can run faster than you for 50, 60 yards. There's a lot more to it in his agility in and around the box, which is, you know, getting that extra yard in a packed box like he did for the second goal yeah. is, is absolutely priceless. And when you can match it with finishing at that level, there's no wonder that he scored, you know, was it like over 250 career goals already? Something like that. Like yeah. I just—he'll absolutely obliterate that French record. I mean, what's the international <laughs> men's record? Ronaldo's got like a hundred and twelve, I think, hundred and fifteen.
0: Uh, I think it's about hundred eighteen. So, yeah, but still
1: not f- hundred eighty, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, blimey, Mbappe could about, about go for that one. He's only six off. <laughs> yeah. Only yeah,
0: it's still only twenty three. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plenty of time on his side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, lo- I, lo- I love that goal, the one that he-, he lashed into the top corner. I mean, Wojcic, Chesney, fair play. He's had an incredible tournament, but he had no chance with that shot, did he? It was, uh, flew past yeah, him. And also Mbappe probably had- probably could have crossed it into Giroud for a free header there, and he just went, nah, I'll take this one. Thank you. Lovely stuff. Swat.
1: That yeah. deserves some Alan Partridge coming. It did, yeah. striker. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've been um, I've been very impressed with Antoine Griezmann at this World Cup as well. Uh, having never been the biggest fan of his, really, you know, I've always thought he was a decent player, but I think he's often kind of flat to deceive. And um, I feel like he's sort of answered a few critics at this tournament. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I think what he doesn't get a lot of credit for is his all round play. I think he's a very intelligent footballer. Um, and what happened was certainly in my eyes is that he was I think top scorer for Atletico Madrid for five years. And he went to Barcelona, okay, back to Atletico Madrid. And because the goals from before haven't been there, people think he's not as good. And then, you know, you, you come to the, the point where people are like, oh, reasons passed it, or he's not this kind of player anymore, this, that, and the other, just because, you know, he's not hitting the double figures or the 20-plus that he was getting all those years ago at Atletico. But he's still a phenomenal footballer. He has so much quality. And who knows, maybe he's one of these players, you know, Ala Pogba who just seems to do better in the French setup than he does um in, in in a club level. I mean he's had quite a bit of injuries and he had all this nonsense about not playing because they didn't want to pay the money to Barcelona at the beginning of the season. Remember mm. he was coming on after coming the after mark. hour mark. Um yeah. so that probably yeah, that probably didn't help him either. Um but he is, he's a fantastic player. What I've really noticed as well is very good work rate. He works very hard for the team. Mm. Um playing sometimes in a slightly deeper role. Uh, and yeah, he's just, I think he's absolutely fantastic. He's such a good link-up player, whether he's whether he's off the target man in Giroud or whether he's feeding the ball through to Mbappe, you know, he's got plenty of, plenty of options ahead of him. Plus, when you play for France, you can basically over-hit a pass and Mbappe's always going to get there. So <laughs> anyone looks good on a through ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: true, that's true. Yeah, this this game ended in sort of quite farcical circumstances with that uh, that late penalty that then had to be retaken. Lewandowski finally got his goal. I've never seen someone look so happy to score a late consolation
1: in a 3-1 defeat. Have you? Uh, I think that was honestly his last kick of World Cup football yeah, in his career. Exactly, yeah. So maybe, maybe a little bit happy. I felt, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of Tottenham bias coming through, but so harsh on Lloris, like making that save because he was off his side. Like, I'm sorry, if Lewandowski can piss around in the run-up, and stop, start, and oh uh, up, uh, uh, oh this right. <laughs> Bloody hell, Laris is allowed to take a step off his line. I mean, <laughs> it's just—it's ridiculous. I mean, you're you're 12 yards out, man. You should be able to score. A like, boo-hoo, the goalie came a foot off his <laughs> line. Like, bury it, and if you don't, you're the idiot.
0: Yeah. I saw I saw a clip the other day again of the uh, the Jersey Dudek one in the 2005 Champions League final, where he was like on the edge of the six yard box, essentially <laughs> against Shevchenko.
1: I was thinking about this the other day, thinking how would you do it? Would you say to avoid to avoid silly slow run-ups, right, like Paul Pogba when he tiptoes? Could you say that the keeper can move off his line as soon as the player begins his run-up, or is that a bit too ridiculous?
0: Yeah, probably is because then you probably you could probably get to the ball by the time I don't know. to race to the ball. Is that that's what it would end up being? <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, <it's> like dodgeball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I'd love to see it, but I don't uh, think it uh, makes uh, practical mate. sense.
1: Yeah, yeah it probably. But there's got to be something where to even it, basically. Like if the player can stop and piss around, then surely the goalkeeper can come off his line. I, d- I don't know. There's, there's got to be. There's got to be something basically because yeah, Lewandowski doing that and going, "I'm going to kick it now." Nah, not really. Yeah. Fooled you. Is you know, well, that was a bit out of order. Yeah. Who knows? Didn't make a difference. Not really, no. And he got his goal. I was quite pleased to see him get
0: his goal anyway. So never mind. Uh, that brings us on to Sunday night's game: uh, England three, Senegal nil. Uh, very good result for England. Um, you know, I think I'd pr- probably a few people expected them to win, but they they won very comfortably, winning, uh, playing very well as well. Um, do you think Gareth Southgate has owed some apologies? Uh, for the way that England have performed in this tournament, I mean, I'll just throw a quick stat at you. Between 1966 and 2018, England won six knockout matches in international tournaments. During his tenure, Southgate has won six uh, World Cup, sorry, not international tournaments, but yeah.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think I mentioned this last time when I, uh, you know, was on the podcast in my hotel room in Amsterdam. Um, he, he deserves a bit of both. He deserves the credit for making the changes that he needed to make. Mm. You know, going to a back four. I'm um, putting more attacking talent to players on the field, but he also deserves a bit of you know. Why now? Why is it taking you four or five years to figure this out? Uh, <laughs> but without looking back and you know being passive aggressive towards him, I've always said that he's the best England manager in my lifetime for sure because he's he's got England to a semi final of the World Cup and a final of the Euros. The guy knows how to make it through tournaments, regardless of what you think. I mean, look at before that, you know, going out of the group stage in um, in 2014, you know, not making it past the quarterfinals in however long I can remember. Like, he's done two out of two in the tournaments, mm-hmm. and obviously it's going to be very difficult against France. But look, he knows how to manage a tournament. He knows how to get England far in tournaments. So, yeah, let the apology be as loud as the disrespect, as they say. <laughs> on that silly
0: bird. No, I mean, that's that's interesting, isn't um, it? Yeah. Because like, you know, is he a better coach than Sven Joran Eriksson? I don't know if he is. Is he a better coach than Fabio Capello? I don't mm. know. You know, th- those coaches were very good coaches and traditionally are probably better than Southgate. But, but his skill set seems to apply well to international football. It is a different skill set to club coaching, whereas theirs probably applied better to club the club game and... Yeah, I think you have to say that Southgate has done very well until England get knocked out on Saturday night and the knives come out for him again for some reason, probably.
1: Look, I I think it is very different, right? It's very different. I think what Southgate done, even when he's stuck by some of the players who aren't playing so well at club level, he understands what they bring to the team in terms of a culture, in terms of setting up. Look, Wales, right... When Wales at Euro 2016 and even recently, everyone banged on, and rightly so, about how brilliant Chris Coleman did. All of the players <laughs> said, oh my God, Chris has created this sort of club culture at international level, right? It was the same familiar players, the same faces. Wales felt like a club. Bale, you know, loved playing for them more than his club side at, at certain <laughs> points. And Southgate's done the same thing as Chris Coleman, and he's getting absolute pelters for it. <laughs> I, I, I agree that sometimes players aren't worthy of their um, inclusion in the squad because they've not been playing well at club level. Maguire's just like that. But whereas club level could be quite ruthless, and as a manager, you know, you'd know you be forced to drop someone after a, a few bad games, or who knows, you could buy someone new. You know mm. That doesn't happen at international level. And the fact that he's kept this group together, by and large, in between tournaments, you know, apart from one or two others, I think he's got to take a lot of credit for it. And the way that this England team, you know, get along well. And for the most part, I think the country's behind England. You know, there aren't too many massive egos. Um, yeah, he's just, for me, he's made so many right decisions off the pitch that, yeah, maybe he's not the greatest tactician or not the greatest yeah. manager on the pitch. But hey that works international level well, Chris Coleman was sacked from wherever I don't know Sheffield Wednesday or something. Sunderland, like I think, no, right it, yeah. <laughs> somewhere yeah Sun- sorry Sunderland that's no disrespect to them but you know if you're a Euro 2016 semi-final manager to be sacked by a League One team <laughs> doesn't quite make sense yeah um, but yeah look Southgate fair play to him and if you get knocked out of France it's France they're a good team things happen in football
0: yeah I wonder with Southgate whether the fact that he's not such an egotist you know that he doesn't have this big great CV behind him that he's not coming in and great things are expected mm. of him really that that has kind of enabled England to thrive under him and he's seen some of a bit of a kind of no dickheads culture in the camp as well and that, that has helped matters I think it's yeah. uh, it's quite quite a nice environment there's not that kind of pressure i
1: Kane as his captain too
0: yeah mm. indeed and he he sort of uh, bowed to public pressure a little bit by bringing Phil Foden in after the the USA game. He he then scored against Wales, set up two goals against Senegal. As Foden nailed down his place in the starting lineup for you now.
1: Yeah, see this is this is where we then um, you know the shoe is on the other foot, and you think for God's sake, Southgate, you have got one of the most talented English players of <laughs> the generation sitting on the bench. What are you doing? Why no. is it taking you so long to figure it out? Maybe he you know went through Twitter after the game and was like, I'm going to put a poll out, Foden or Foden or Mount Um, yeah that one seemed a bit too obvious like Foden's brilliant put him on the pitch yeah Um, but it's easy to say that it's easy to say that after a good performance I believe Phil Foden played pretty much no part in the run to the Euros final last year if I remember I think he started the first game he got injured yeah injured yeah yeah so maybe he thought he could do it without him but yeah he's such a phenomenal player Foden that um that it would be a no-brainer to keep him in, I guess, for the rest of the tournament now, because he represents England's, you know, best attacking link-up. I would say with Harry Kane, although Saka yeah. is also very good too.
0: Well, that's a, another question about having uh, Raheem Sterling having to leave the camp because his his house was burgled, having to having to rush home for that. If he comes back, does that make uh, a, give Southgate a bit of a selection headache for the France game? Does he? Does he put Sterling back in and take Saka out or Foden out? Or does he stick with that front three that he, that he worked so well against Senegal?
1: No, he he needs to stick with the whole team, never mind the front three. Stick <laughs> with the exact same team uh, that did the business against Senegal. Sterling's been brilliant, I think, for England. He's been the talisman mm-hmm. as well as Kane in the last few years. Um, yeah, it was obviously terrible what, what happened to him and his home and his family. Um, but yeah, I think at this point, after that performance on Sunday night, you don't, you don't change anything. You don't change yeah. anything, there because Saka and Foden have been fantastic this tournament, so, yeah, I wouldn't change it.
0: So Henderson stays in place? I mean, he deserves to after scoring that yeah, goal and
1: I, playing very well. He deserves to. A very good performance, and I feel like he, he, we sort of saw what you'd expect from a Liverpool Jordan Henderson, where there's one sitting midfielder and the other two are free to go box to box. So Rice sits and Bellingham and Henderson can go box to box. The same thing at Liverpool, Fabinho's is there um, and the rest of them could be, you know, sort of the shackles are off. And I think that suits him. I think Henderson's game is about energy, is about all over the pitch. You know, the the maybe not sort of, it was a very well taken goal, but Henderson is one who's not necessarily there for the moments of magic. I think England have been maybe accused is the right word of it in the past of being a bit too run of the mill, a bit too bland, and relying on Kane, Saka, Rashad, whoever, Foden for moments of magic. Henderson's not there for that, but what he does do is, is basically back up and allow those players to to um to get forward and and yeah to sort of produce these moments, I guess. Because I I think he's a good player, Henderson. I wouldn't say he's the future of England, but look, well, now. he's
0: definitely not as he is thirty five, but yeah. he's playing very well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's not that old, is he? It's I think like he is, isn't he? Right.
0: I think so. I could be wrong about no. that. I've been, I've been wrong about a lot that's of things so on this podcast pretty. already, so it wouldn't be surprising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you,
1: you, you, you might be right. Maybe? Yeah. Anyway,
0: he's thirty-three until he's thirty-five. Yeah,
1: that's for sure. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, Harry Kane getting his first goal of the tournament here, very well taken. But he's been playing pretty well uh, otherwise, apart from scoring. I think hasn't he?
1: Yeah, well, this is one of those things, like I said, with Griezmann, when the goals dry up, you know, we look a bit foolish, whatever. Um, he's been fantastic. I think the assists speak for themselves. It is, this team looks set up to have more contributions, basically, goal contributions from absolutely everywhere, from Bellingham, from Henderson, Rashford, Foden, Saka, Kane, uh, rather than just relying on Kane to score every single goal, which is often what happened to England in the past. He's been playing brilliantly, really, really well. And I think it was, was it Saka the other day who was basically saying like he just links everything? Like it's just phenomenal to have Kane up front. So when his own teammate is saying that, I trust him more than somebody on, you know, online <laughs> who says, oh, he's got a score to be playing this Because yeah. yeah. we all know if Harry Kane scored four goals, it would be, oh, yeah, but it's only France or, oh, yeah, but it's only you know, it's only Hugo Lloris. He told his teammate <laughs> where he was going to go. You know, it'll be it'll be all sorts of nods. Kane could score a hat trick in every game. England could win it, and he'd still get shit from fans. So, <laughs> yeah, he's he's been brilliant this tournament. He's been yep. absolutely brilliant, and a, a well taken goal.
0: Yep, Very much so. And uh, heading into this this uh, Saturday's quarter final against France, I suppose the big question is: Can Kyle Walker handle Kylian Mbappe? I, I'm wondering whether Southgate might panic a little bit here and, and go back to the back five or something.
1: Do you think that's possible, or do you think he'll stick to his guns? Yeah, I think there's pan I think physically, if anyone can keep up with Mbappe, Walker can. Mm. Um, but also, you know, there's a team effort involved as well. There's other other players on the pitch who can stop him. More importantly, there's other players who on the pitch who can stop getting the ball to him. Mm. You stop the service to Mbappe, then you know you might be a bit better off. I... It's not like it's going to be constant one-on-ones like a game of street football where it's like, Bappe like, <laughs> you've got the balls, you against Kyle, go. Yeah. Uh, I would think that England would be a bit smarter than that. Personally, I just don't want to see Southgate go back on what's got England this far. Yeah, you've, you know, England have played brilliant. Uh, three clean sheets in a row, 12 goals in four games, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. They've done really well. Go out and play your strongest side and give France a go. And if you yeah. lose... You know, you've gone out in the right way, and if you go to a back five and you lose, then it's even worse. So people are going to people are going to complain about that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, people are going to kill you anyway for it, Gareth. (laughs) Stick to your guns, go with the same team that beat Senegal, and you know, have a go at France to see where it leads. Indeed. So, can they do it? Do Do you feel confident that England can do it? What's your prediction? I, I'm not confident because I know France are a brilliant side, so I'd say 2-1. Obviously, deep down in my heart, I'm hoping you know England can pull something out of the bag, but I would say 2-1 to France. Yeah, I think 2-1 France as well, yeah. But we
0: live in hope. Uh, on Monday, we saw a one-all draw between Croatia and Japan, which uh, Japan won on penalties. Uh, sorry, Croatia won on penalties. Fucking hell, I'm all over the place today, aren't I? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> how much do you think Croatia's experience helped them? in this situation? Did it matter at all? I mean, that was the, the sort of takeaway for a lot of people, but when it comes down to a penalty shootout, can experience help you, do you think?
1: Um, well, certainly Livakovic in goal isn't that yeah. experienced um, yeah. when it comes to... I think he was at the 2018 squad in the, sem- in the final with the runners-up, but he didn't play a minute. Um, so maybe not. I don't know. That, that might be quite a cliche thing to say with the likes of Lovren and Modric and Perisic and whoever else in the Croatian squad. I think it might have been that as much as... I don't know. I just Japan aren't exactly clinical, are they? I don't know what the XG is for Japan, but I think scoring one goal in a game is probably yeah. there or thereabouts. They might be lucky to get two, but it's not like you know experience one against know, youthful exuberance or anything. I just yeah. don't think Japan were good enough to score two, and neither are Croatia, so they drew one all. Um, yeah, maybe that's a bit cynical of me.
0: <laughs> well, Ivan Perisic delivered the goods for Croatia with a brilliant uh, headed goal and an equaliser. I saw someone on Twitter say uh, he headed that that hard that he won't remember it in two weeks. He won't remember it happening, but uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let's hope that he does. And it was, uh, yeah, quite, quite. I, I suppose quite sad for Japan to go out in that manner after their heroics at this tournament, beating Germany, beating Spain, to lose on penalties. Bit of a bit of a dampener.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's was a harsh one. It's a lottery, as they say. <laughs> whoever they is. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's it's obviously a tough one to take for Japan, especially when they took the lead as well. Yeah, taking the lead is, you know, that's a bit of a ball ache. But I guess it's probably sadder when you everyone wants like uh, an underdog to cheer for, but people have got that in Morocco, so don't feel too sad, fans of underdogs.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it was a valiant effort from the Blue Samurai. Did their country, very proud indeed. Uh, Moving on to the uh, 4-1 victory for Brazil over South Korea. Uh, Very, very exciting, dazzling performance from Brazil in this game. Uh, My first question is, why do you think people are so rattled by the Brazil players dancing and enjoying themselves when they score goals? What is it about Vinicius Junior that gets on people's nerves?
1: I had this conversation earlier with two of the German guys in our German team and they hate it. They are (laughs) rattled. And I think they're just very German. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I just don't understand yeah it's obviously very like you know they want the Gerd Müller celebration just put an arm in the air and go yeah and then just run back to the, yeah. to the halfway line that's about it uh, no I don't get it you're at a World Cup right this is this is the pinnacle for a lot of players of your life's ambitions and goals and you can see it when every goal is scored that the, the bench is down there celebrating the manager the, the the I don't know players who aren't even in the match day squad Whoever, go mad! This happens once every four years, and you know you're absolutely battering a team in the in the last 16. Go nuts, dance, do what you want. Yeah, like you know you you're an individual. You don't have to be a boring robot who just um, just does what everyone else does on the pitch. And personally, I think that's part of the appeal of Brazil and yeah. you know, their samba style. Okay, exactly man. yeah well, brilliant go, if you go, know nice. anything That's about the culture of that country yeah,
0: yeah. and the, the footballing culture, culture of that country then that is how they behave yeah. and that is like fair play to them back off fun police
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh the fun police get in the bin honestly yeah. I wouldn't care if look I've seen that video of Harry Kane dancing and the man cannot dance <laughs> in his life. but if he decided to, <laughs> if he decided to pull out a little dance against France I'm up for it, mate. Go ahead. Have some fun. You're doing what 99% of the footballing population would absolutely love to do, and you're scoring in World Cup finals. So, fucking go mad. Go for it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And another great moment for Richarlison in this game, scoring a lovely goal. I think that was. Brazil's best goal of the game. Anyway, the South Korea consolation goal was, was very nice as well. But uh, have you been a little yeah. bit surprised by Richarlison's performances for Brazil at this tournament? I've been watching him for Spurs this season. It looks like, I mean, I'd, I guess he's playing second fiddle to Harry Kane a lot of the time at Spurs, which must be quite tricky. But he's he's really, I've been surprised that he's been sort of Brazil's starting striker, really, and really nailed that place down.
1: Yeah, it's because you don't see it week in week out the Premier League because like, like I mentioned before with Julian Alvarez, like it's so different from club to international level. He's got, Richardson has got um, brilliant players to link up with. He's got Neymar, Vinicius and, you know, Rafinha creating all sorts of problems for defences, gaps, space opening up. They move very well. It's a little bit more rigid at Tottenham. He's often playing out wide, you know, either side of, of uh, him and Son, either side of Harry Kane it's very different to compare and I think at Spurs you won't see that Richarlison unless he's the starting striker and it's yeah. not going to happen whilst Harry Kane's still there so I'm not surprised to be honest to see to see him play differently for Brazil than he does for Spurs if Conte can somehow manage to squeeze them both in up front great but yeah it's just one of those things really I guess it's two different completely footballing styles and systems so I'd be surprised if we see Richarlison come back and yeah, keep doing what he's doing <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, another player in a, in a similar mould who uh, you know hasn't done an awful lot in the Premier League this season, but's looking very good for Brazil. Is and scored in this game is Lucas Paqueta. You know his uh, his West Ham career hasn't quite taken off yet. Uh, he looks fantastic for for Leon. Are you are you confident that he's going to be a good player for West Ham in future?
1: Yeah, weird that I it hasn't really taken off yet. I just for me in my head I think he's almost too good for West Ham. <laughs> West Ham, yeah. But, like, you're starting for Brazil at World Cups, like, he's a top six player, surely. And it just hasn't really come to fruition. I mean, he's been good for West Ham, but he hasn't exactly set the Premier League alight. No one was talking about him as, you know, one of the best players in the first, what wasn't even half of the season, first whatever it was, 15 games. Uh, yeah, that was a little bit odd. But, uh, look... Again, maybe that's just the way it goes, you know, playing under Tice and with Neymar to playing under David Moyes with Mikel Antonio. Yeah, it makes a hell of a difference with the players around that's, him. That's unnecessary shade on Mikel Antonio, actually, because <laughs> I like him. I like Mikel Antonio. Sorry, yeah. Sorry that's <laughs> unnecessary shade. He's just maybe not as good as Neymar.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, we've said throughout this tournament that uh, Brazil look like they've got the strongest squad, you know, very strong and... They've got a lot of depth in every department. Really, I've seen nothing to convince me yet that they're not going to win the World Cup. But um, you know that could all change in the in the coming games. Mm. Uh, you know, even Alisson is. You know, we know what a quality player he is from how he performs for Liverpool, making a, a couple of great saves in this game as well. And uh, they even brought the third choice goalkeeper on in this game. Was that a, a little bit of a strange thing to do from from Cheech for you, or was he uh, was it the right a, a nice little gesture to give Weverton?
1: Yeah, up? again yeah I I am very much on the side of the same thing as the dancing Weberton has done whatever he's done to make it this far in his career uh, he's at a World Cup and you know what an amazing moment for him and his family and his career to be able to play at a World Cup so it's a very nice thing for Chiefs to do yes indeed look because look we we would all rip the piss out of him, right? If he came on, made a mistake, and Brazil lost. <laughs> so if we're willing to live and die by that sword, then we've got to you know go hats off when he's capable of getting it right. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure Everton's delighted. Indeed, I'm yeah. Delighted. yeah. And we now have
0: the prospect, uh, if Brazil get past Croatia, of a possible semi final with Argentina. If Argentina get past the Netherlands, of course, which is a, a mouthwatering prospect. Do you see any envisage any problems from Brazil against Croatia?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. It would be, <laughs> be a massive shock if Croatia went through, but yeah. But Brazil look quality. Yep. Three 0
0: Indeed. Uh, that brings us on to uh, Tuesday's games. Spain nil, Morocco nil, with Morocco advancing on penalties. Um, as a adopted Moroccan, you must have been very, very delighted with this. <laughs> they are surely the 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 the, the, to- the team of the tournament, the story of the tournament, whatever you want to call it. Certainly, the sauciest team at this tournament, I think. I, I would say. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I love it. Just, just uh, there for the vibes, yeah. there for the vibes, and some good football along the way. It's got, got some great players. Um, even Hakimi, you know, Penenka, then the little waddle celebration. I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable, absolute sauce. So yeah, why not? Good for them. Um, very, very disappointed for Spain. I was watching it in the office yesterday with Ale, who's on our Spanish news. Desk. For those of you who listen <laughs> oh, to God. this podcast, you'll probably be a bit more familiar with Ale. Um, He's he's on the, the that with Lewis quite times. and he is uh, passionate. Let's say, yeah, um, at least have so many. I, I I'd say, yeah, he's not. Um, he won't be signing up to the Lewis Enrique fan club anytime soon. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> he was he was not best pleased, and I think for Spain, it's another another disappointing end to a tournament for them, to be honest. But yeah, for Morocco, amazing, and yeah. and, and honestly, if they could pick an opponent in the last eight. I know Portugal were brilliant, but it's got a similar sort of vibe to it Mm. for me, that if they can stop them from scoring, um, you know, get through on penalties, who knows, that seems to be the Moroccan way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, another big performance from Sofian Amrabat, he's probably needed in midfield. He was was pretty awesome. Roman Sais in the defence, very good as well. So, uh, very, you know... I don't know if you would call it a sort of back-to-the-wall park-in-the-bus performance. I know I've seen some quotes from Rodri was quite salty about uh, Morocco's approach to the game. Do you think he had a point there? Were, were they a bit too negative and defensive, or is that just the way that you have to play when you're you know, a, a relatively smaller nation at a
1: tournament like that against a big team like Spain? Exactly. You're not, you're not idiots. I hate when players yeah. do this. Like, well, what would you expect them to do? Come out and give you loads of space so you can score four? Don't be an idiot, Rodri. You know, yeah. You, you know what? Mor- Morocco know that they're playing the role of the underdogs. They know what they've got to do to advance, and that's that's it. Yeah, it just it sounds sour grapes. They call it yeah. sour grapes.
0: Spent too much time playing for Man City, I think, Rodri, and uh, needs to remember that uh, yeah. not everyone can, you know, have all those players yeah. and play play that football all the time. Yeah, and uh, and Spain apparently did loads and loads of preparation for penalty shootouts before the tournament. Luis Enrique setting the players homework and. Uh, studying where Morocco were going to go with their penalty study and what the goalkeeper was like. Does this just kind of show that it is a complete lottery, <laughs> essentially, and there isn't, all, there isn't a lot of prep you can do for it, really?
1: Yeah, I think the Germans ruined penalty shootouts because Germany won so many penalty shootouts that people started to believe there was some sort of tactic behind it um, or there's some sort of way of navigating penalty shootouts where... In reality, it's very random. We know it is. There's tips and tricks. And, you know, apparently Harry Kane knows where he's going to go with his first penalty of each match day every single week because that week in training he practices in the lead-up to a match. So he knows on match day where he's going. So there's that level of confidence. But then if the goalkeeper dives that way, then... That, that goes out the window, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Imagine the people talk about, you know, simulating the match day experience. You know, Lewis and know, Luis Enrico is always talking about, um, also talking about the match day pressure and, you know, how it's impossible to recreate. And it is like, you know, when a, a player, who was it who took a really, really bad penalty yesterday? Um, uh, Who was second? Sarabia was Can't first in the post. Um Oh, sorry, Busquets took a rubbish one, right? Sort of rolled it to the side. It was oh, yeah. If that rolls into the bottom corner, you look like an absolute genius. But it's just, <laughs> the keepers just dive that way. There's a lot of talk that goes into penalties, but I think that if you stick it away, it's great. And if you miss it, you look like an idiot. But I wouldn't, I think it very, I'm still very much on the lottery side of the, with the penalties <laughs> rather than it being an absolute science, like the Germans yeah. would have you believe.
0: Just hit it hard. That would be my, be my advice. Just hit it as hard as you yeah. can close Swat your eyes Harry smash it yeah <laughs> yeah exactly there's a man who knows that's to take a penalty <laughs> And that brings us to our final uh, World Cup last sixteen game, which uh, took place on Tuesday evening. It was Portugal six, Switzerland one. Very impressive performance from Portugal. Do you feel like we've um, we've underestimated them a little bit at this tournament? You know, very few people said that they fancied them to win the tournament. A lot of people expected them to flop and really flatter to deceive. And you know, they've they've got through it all, playing some very nice football with with kind of consumer ease so far. Does a little bit like Gareth Southgate is Fernando Santos owed some apologies?
1: Uh, I think everyone was basically putting two and two together and saying if Portugal stick with Ronaldo, uh, they're going to end up the way of Manchester United, which is (laughs) stifled somewhat. Um, So maybe he deserves a lot of credit for dropping Ronaldo and putting in Ramos up top. Uh, Yeah, maybe Portugal are a little bit less fancied. I think, again, like I've said with, you know, everything being Lionel Messi this, Lionel Messi that, Argentina, Ronaldo has been the focal point of Portugal for... Six tournaments, right, or whatever it is, eight tournaments. Now, that it's easy to forget, there's actually a team behind him, and there's a lot of talent in the team around him. I'm not saying that nobody knows them; they're obviously, you know, world-class international stars. We all know who the Portugal team are, but yeah, it's easy to forget that it's not all about him, and that they can function very well without him. As as Switzerland as showed, definitely has uh, yeah. to today, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, Ronaldo's really not helping himself with his his conduct, you know, being being dropped for this game um, after the way he behaved. And, you know, apparently after the after this game, he was the first player down the tunnel. I even noticed when Rafael Leal scored that brilliant goal to make it 6-1, Ronaldo was one of the closest players to him and yet one of the last players over to congratulate him. Like, wh- why is Ronaldo like this? I, I, I do wonder if it's like, if he wouldn't have been half the player that he was, had he not had this kind of selfish mentality almost or this kind of desire to... Win yeah. and prove people wrong all the time and stuff like that. And now, time has caught up with him. His body isn't doing what it capable of doing what it was used to, and he's not really sort of come to terms with that mentally. I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I guess maybe it's a, a sort of a mental thing for him. He's not who he once was. But I think everything that makes Ronaldo now public enemy number one, it seems, is also what drove him to the top as well to be there in the first place. So. Yeah, I guess it's both sides of the sword, and unfortunately, he's on the wrong side of it now where he isn't quite capable of what he used to be. Mm. Um, but also, I would say, as you know, like we said with Lewandowski being happy with his last ever World Cup touch, he scored a goal. Ronaldo knows this is his last World Cup, yeah. so he wants you to can see that he's goal
0: desperate goal. to score and to stuff, leave. can't you? Yeah.
1: yeah, he wants to leave a bigger le- legacy as possible, so he's going to get a little bit annoyed. I don't know. I think what I think is really interesting in these situations is that you'd find very, very different answers if you spoke to footballers. Mm. I I feel like footballers would understand far more outside pressures, what it's like within the team camp, how much they want to score. They'd understand Ronaldo's mentality, everything. I think that would be a far more interesting conversation than talking to me all the time. But (laughs) but I'm glad that you did choose me to talk to.
0: I feel like this wouldn't be Ronaldo's last World Cup if it was up to him, but I think it's becoming increasingly apparent that you know yeah. he's probably not going to get called up after this. Maybe he'll be sort of almost forced into international retirement. Um, let's uh, let's wrap up on that uh, that game with uh, a bit of a chat about Gonzalo Ramos. Uh, is he is he the 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 next uh, big thing out of the Benfica academy?
1: Uh, he looks it, doesn't he? He's, he's yeah. had a, a, a pretty good run with Benfica, scoring quite a few goals. I think he's only 21. Um, I was a bit surprised because he's never started the game for Portugal before. I um, mean, he's only got two two sort of small sub appearances in this World Cup, so it's a big move to start him. Mm. But he looks brilliant, doesn't he? Fantastic finishing, ridiculous confidence. I mean, by the third goal, he's obviously very confident because he scored, you know, the first two. But just to dink it over Sommer just is unbelievable. He looks fantastic. And you're right, if Benfica's track record is anything to go by, you know, Liverpool are going to come in with another 100 million for Ramos. So there's, you know, there's big there's big money to be spent. And if, if if clubs are looking to an academy with a proven track record down the years, Benfica is most definitely one of them. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he was, you know, a few more clubs are sort of looking at him.
0: Yeah, first hat-trick of the World Cup, that wasn't it, so far, which I was surprised by, yeah.
1: Yeah, and first hat-trick in the knockout rounds of a World Cup since
0: 1990. Yeah. Fair play to him. So what's our prediction for that uh, that, that Portugal-Morocco
1: uh, quarterfinal then? I'd like Morocco to take it to penalties and win again like Spain, but I think Portugal are going to win. I'm going to go for 2-0 Portugal. 2-0 Portugal, Yeah, I I think it will be a bridge too far for
0: Morocco, but I think it's going to be a very good game that I'm uh, I'm looking forward to watching. Right, let's finish today with a question from Anthony Zacchino. He says, "Uh, no team went undefeated in the group stage. Is this evidence that the gap between the most successful national teams and the less successful teams has narrowed? I've been quite interested uh, on the back of that question as well to, to sort of ponder whether the standard of international football has kind of dropped in comparison to the club game quite significantly. Do you think that's there's something going on there that the club football has sort of gone into the stratosphere now and international football is almost a bit of an old-fashioned style of football that we, we don't see too much anymore?
1: Yeah, maybe because there isn't as much time for international football to develop. Like there is yeah. club football, they're training every single day and they're constantly developing and you're getting a cross-breeding of managers and players and ideas and identities. Uh, you know, club football is the perfect breeding ground for things to develop and maybe international football sort of catches up a little bit later um, with that. Yeah, is the evidence most successful national teams, less teams have narrowed. There's maybe something to do with the scheduling. I know in the last game, for example, where I think Brazil and Portugal both surrendered their 100% records in the group stage by playing weakened teams yeah. right, against Cameroon and South Korea and both lost. Uh, France had a few subs and lost to Tunisia. So maybe there's that. Maybe there's just a bit of um, wariness over the scheduling and they've decided to swap a few players out and that's given some of the lesser teams a bit of a chance. Um, But I wouldn't... Look, I mean, World Cup shocks, you know, go back as long as time. Um, Longer than the World Cup itself. Uh, You know what I mean? These these shocks would you have would you have said the same question after Senegal beat France at the beginning of 2002 and South Korea made it to the semi-final mm. would you have said it when i don't know Denmark won the euros in 92 uh 98 Croatia well, made it the final four i think Turkey beat Brazil in 2002 so you could have a case for it at every tournament maybe yeah. um but i guess not in a bad way, but recency bias. Obviously, the World Cup's happening now, so we're talking about it now. Yeah. But you could probably go back and find a trend of where people may thought that this would be happening. Yeah. I mean, but my last point of this story, very quickly, is I actually don't really agree because the same teams, bar a few, are there year in, year out in the Euros and in the World Cup. The same teams, you know, Brazil have made every quarterfinal since 1994. Mm. Um, Argentina always there with thereabouts. Obviously, Germany have been quite poor, but France always have a talent line that's ridiculous. Like the same teams are generally there, so I don't think we're seeing anything too. And, and, yeah. until like Hungary are back on top, or you know, or Czech Republic <laughs> They're or come like that. I refuse to believe there's a big swing. <laughs> yeah, there's a big swing in football
0: yeah I mean we, sh- we probably should celebrate that aspect of international football that it's not quite at the same level yeah. as the club game that it's not quite as tactical that you know you see you see some shocks in the club game but you know the sport is dominated by clubs with the most money who have these deep squads who can shrink loads and loads of wins together and uh, titles together and you know it's becoming a little bit stale whereas international football seems like a lot more surprises can happen and a more shocks we love
1: Morocco it's brilliant yeah. it's brilliant so yeah oh
0: absolutely there we go there we go perfect way to end the show today we're going to be back on Monday talking about the quarterfinals and looking ahead to the semi-finals uh, we do have some more list of questions to get to as well so as I say if we haven't read yours out we will uh, we will try and get to it a future episode podcast at onefootball.com is the email address if you want to get in touch with us have a nice weekend enjoy the quarterfinals and we'll catch you next time you